Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church. The truth is, we just can't get enough. We all want new things, new experiences. We want them bigger and better than the last time. In this series called Hungry Eyes, it turns out that all these wants boil down to three things that the Bible talks about were a problem from the very beginning. So welcome to the human race. We're never satisfied. Let's jump right in. All right, welcome to Grace Life, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good afternoon. Tell you what, we've done that for two weeks in a row, and I am getting the same crazy looks from you guys. Hey, we'll come back to that hungry eyes thing in just a minute. It'll make sense, I promise. Before we do that, I just want to say awesome job and thank you for what you've been doing with our Summer of Serve. Yesterday was our second Saturday. We took two big Saturdays, one in June and one yesterday. And uh, I'm just so blown away by the number of people that have come out and poured their their sweat and their time and their energy into the city of Columbia. You know, we, we, we have these t-shirts and one of our mantras is saying, making Jesus famous in Columbia. But in order to make Jesus famous in Columbia to people in Columbia, people who follow Jesus have to leave these little buildings and go out and do something. And it's been amazing to see how many of you are willing to do that, how much time you've given. Just It's just blown my mind. So I just want to say thank you to you and, and good job as a church. If somebody clap for the person beside him or something and say you're awesome. Or, yeah. Second thing is if you've missed those two days and you say, okay, well, you know, I missed those. What can I do? All throughout the summer, uh, each month we've been doing a, a collection drive for an organization in our community and uh, giving some things to them that would help. So we're about to wrap up July and then we'll do another one again in August. So uh, as you leave these doors today, stop by, ask the Global Outreach team there by those blue banners, what are we collecting this month and where is it going and what are we doing? So there's still plenty for you to be a part of. All right, so hungry eyes. That's kind of weird, isn't it? We're not doing this just because I've got like this 1980s desire to stand on stage and play air guitar to that song. Not. Yes. No. Okay, anyway, so hey, here's the thing. It's actually biblical. It comes out of Proverbs 27, 20. Here's what it says. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. Death and destruction can't get enough and neither can human eyes. Turns out human eyes are hungry eyes. We always want more, whatever we're looking at. And so uh, if you missed part one, uh, part one of the series we did last week really kind of sets up the whole series, talks about what the whole thing is about. I'm going to encourage you to go and listen to that if you missed it, because I'm just going to do a real quick snapshot of, of this whole idea of we can't get enough. We always want more. And so that would lead us to this idea that there's just thousands of things going on that we're always chasing after, but actually the Bible tells us there's just three. There are only three things that our hungry eyes want more of. And uh, it comes out of 1 John 2.16. It says, for all that is in the world, everything that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. This is the only thing the world has got to offer. And that's why the verse before this, the sentence right before it, actually said, don't love the things of the world. Because they're so likely to trap you into one of these three things that we just can't get enough of. So the desires of the flesh, it is talking about physical pleasure. Physical and sensual pleasure, comfort, food, sex, whatever can make the body happy. The desires of the eyes is all about having stuff. We just want more stuff. We see it and go, ooh, shiny, glitter. Right, come on, Lord of the Rings fans, right? We got to go, my precious, 
Yeah, come on, yeah. I mean, anybody see The Hobbit actually where they saw us, what he really looked like before he chased my precious? I mean, he was like a normal person, but it devastated him that he just had to have a thing, a shiny gold thing. And so that's the desires of the eyes. The last one is pride of life. And that's all about can't get enough props. For those of you that are over 40, I'm going to be your Urban Dictionary again. What that's talking about is praise and fame and people being impressed with you, people thinking you're awesome. So we can't get enough pleasure. We can't get enough stuff. We can't get enough props. So last week we kicked off the series with can't get enough props. Today we're going to continue working backwards and we're going to talk about can't get enough stuff. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Come on, everybody wants to go to church and hear somebody preach at, at you about how you can't get enough stuff. Come on, who's... Anybody wanting to pretend they're going to the bathroom or get coffee and not come back? This is your moment. Okay, actually, if you stay here, I'm going to try to make this as merciful as I can. And first of all, I already know, like, you shouldn't do this. Because I'm raised here in the South and I had a very polite, good Southern mother. And you just don't talk to people about their stuff, right? I mean, just it's impolite to go into somebody's living room and go, oh, that's very nice. How much did you pay for that? You know, you, you don't do that. Oh, y'all have a lot of stuff here in your house. You've got very nice things. You don't do that, you know. You wait and you leave their house and you talk about them to someone else. That's what Southerners do. Come on, right? So anyway, hey, I'm going to do my best to make this as, as uh, pain-free as possible. Any pain, I hope, is going to come from the Holy Spirit working on you, not the way that I'm going to talk about it. So, but the truth is... We can't get enough stuff, you know, and uh, there are entire religious orders, you know, where I'm talking about like monks that live in a monastery that have taken on a vow of poverty. And the reason for this is because they are so afraid of the power of stuff in their lives and this temptation to have things that they've said, I, I don't want anything. I just, you just give me a little bed to lay my head. You give me a little bit of food only as I need it. You know, nothing extra. Don't need a snack cabinet. You know, don't need a mini fridge in the room. Nothing like that. And, and just clothes, you know, just a brown robe for Monday. Maybe the same one for Tuesday. Maybe a new one for Wednesday. But keep a brown robe because, you know, we don't want Wednesday's outfit looking better than Monday's outfit. You know, that would mess up the temptation. And. I'm not one of those people, y'all. You know, that's just the way it is. I am not a person who wants to take a vow of poverty. Matter of fact, if you were here last week, we were, uh, I, I told you about the little vacation I had just come back from, but the, the truth is it wasn't a vacation at all, and I didn't go anywhere. It was called a staycation renovation, working on my kitchen. So if you missed that, but before we go on, I need to do a timeout because I have received one too many comments about something this week because of my kitchen renovation. I need to correct the record on something here. You see, I don't care about social media. I almost never post, and I definitely never look at it, which could be a bad thing because I've apparently offended some of you by not approving your Facebook friend request <laughs> for six months at a time. I apologize. But anyway, back to the point. So several people have come up to me this week and said, uh, you know, Pastor, I noticed uh, on your wife's social media, who apparently does care about all of you knowing the progress of our kitchen, that, that I said I was doing the renovation, yet I'm not in any of the pictures. <laughs> that all of the pictures are of my children doing all of the work, like this is a child labor project. So let me set this straight. I have done the renovation. But see, here's the deal. When I spend 12 to 14 hours a day for two weeks straight in my kitchen, giving my wife the kitchen of her dreams, apparently that's to be expected, and it's not special, so it doesn't make the Instagram highlight reel. 
but if my children's fingers come magnetically unglued from their iPad long enough to touch a broom or a hammer, that's like big news, and we need that to be recorded for history. So she takes a picture of them actually doing something. We left the first service where she was in it, and she gave me a little scowl in the front row as I did that, and I met her in the hall. When she's out in the lobby after the first service, she's got her Instagram open. She's like, see here, honey, there's a picture of you. See here, there's another picture of you. Two in the same outfit doing the same job. Do you know how much I've done for like the last month of our lives? And you know what her response was? True story, not making this up. Her response was, what, you need more props? Don't desire to grow up and preach. God will come at you from every direction possible. Anyway, why did I tell you that story? I told you that story because last week I told you about getting my new kitchen. But if you were at Grace Life a couple of years ago, you also heard me tell you about how I used to hate my kitchen. And, and, and it was a part of a message on changing our mindset and, and at least learning to be grateful. Because we had reached a place where we'd walk into our door and just go, oh, horrible kitchen. We hate our house. You know, that kind of thing. And, and it, was, it, was, it was maybe well-deserved, I don't know. You know, we had old linoleum. Whoever thought that white linoleum with gold lines and blue stars with, like, brown cabinets and gray countertops and <laughs> whoever thought that was a good idea, I really don't know. I would love to meet them and educate them. But somebody apparently about 25 years ago thought that that looked cool. Of course, now we've worn a path of dirty grayness into the, 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 the linoleum. And then when something tears, one of my kids thought they would just pull on the tear and go, look! And so now we We've got a big hole and all that sort of stuff. So we'd become very, very disgruntled and ungrateful for what we had. And we were spending all of our time telling God what he needed to give us and whatever. And uh, God just really called us on and said, stop it. And because we were just being so ungrateful for what he'd given us in our lives. And so we actually had to take like an un-American drastic step. And that is we had to stop watching HGTV. We tried for a little while to go from the, you know, renovate shows where you fix up your kitchen in a weekend kind of stuff, and we just decided we would just watch Caribbean House Hunters, but that really didn't help the problem at all, because they have nice kitchens and blue water out the window. So we actually gave up HGTV altogether. We gave up the little apps where you click on things and go, my dream stuff, and try to save the pictures, and, and we had to just put that down because it was destroying us. We were literally becoming the hyper. Every time, and we were just complaining. And so I'm telling you all that because today I can stand in front of you and say, I'm getting a new kitchen and we have clean hearts. And so that's really what we want to talk about today as we talk about stuff, you know, because too often the Christian idea of stuff is you can't have any. Because if you're a good Christian, you give everything away. And if you've got stuff, you're not a good Christian or you're stingy or you're selfish or whatever, you know, that, that's just the whole idea. And, and so we get very confused about whether or not we can have stuff. So what do you think? Can Christians have stuff? How much stuff? Where's the line? Well, how, how many number of shirts is too many shirts before you suddenly are no longer generous and you should have given some away, you know? How many things can you? So that's the question, right? So our real dilemma today, what I hope that we can answer today is how can we be favored and blessed by God? How many of you believe that our God loves to bless us? And how many of you like to be favored by your God, right? So how can we be blessed and favored by our God how can we enjoy the provision he gives us and not be ruled by the desires of our eyes, this 
constant need for more stuff. So that's the question at hand. I think we're going to get to an answer. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Our main passage today is going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. If you don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen right here. But for those of you that are turning, while you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and set the context for this passage that we're looking at. So this is written by Paul to a guy named Timothy. And uh, just to kind of show you how important this letter really is, Paul wrote a lot of our New Testament. And most of what Paul wrote were letters to churches, groups of people. And some of you maybe have heard of the book of Ephesians. If you've ever heard of the book of Ephesians, it's written to the people in that city. The city was called Ephesus. And so Paul wrote a letter to the people in the Ephesian church. Now here's what's special. Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesian church. Paul had built the church, he had discipled Timothy, and he was going on to start more churches in other places. And he left Timothy in charge. And so at this point, this is so rare because Paul didn't usually write a letter to the church and another letter to the pastor of the church. And this is very special because, you see, Timothy was like his favored son. He had raised him up, he had discipled him, he had taught him everything, and he's really concerned for something that's spreading in the church as well as he's concerned for Timothy's well-being and making sure that this thing that's spreading doesn't get a hold on him, right? So that's where we are. We're going to pick this up with this context. And what is happening is this thing spreading in the church is this idea that godliness produces gain. If you are godly, you're going to get rich. If you at least act godly, you're going to get rich. Be a good Christian because you will be blessed. Anybody ever heard that message? If you're a good Christian, you're going to have a lot of stuff, right? And so that message that we hear today sometimes, it's not new. It's been around since then. And so what was happening is right after they said that godliness is great gain, this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. Is anybody content with food and clothes? I'm going to be honest. I'll be transparent if y'all can't be. I like stuff, and I like nice stuff, and I like newer stuff, and I like more stuff than I need. And I'll be honest, this is one of those Bible verses, you just want to flip the page. You know, you, you see, I should be content with just food and clothes. That should be enough. As long as I'm not starving and I'm not crawling into the kitchen to grab a leaf that barely sustains me like it does a rabbit, you know. I mean, and, and as long as I, I'm not naked on my way to work, I'm supposed to be content. I'm not content. I would like a little extra. Anybody, anybody going to identify with me today as a, as a human who, like, we would like more stuff? Thank you. So what that means, though, is that we also need to be aware if we like more than just minimal food and minimal clothes, that there is a possibility that we could really be tempted by the desires of our eyes. And that's why this is so important and this passage is so important. I like stuff. Matter of fact, come on, guys, any guys in the room get tortured by having to, like, go shopping with your wife because she's just always got to buy more stuff? We got a couple of guys that are willing to raise their hands and not get elbowed and hit. There you go. Oh, that hand just got taken down by that way. <laughs> I'm going to talk to this crowd for a little bit over here. I was doing this in the first service, and the lady over here beside her husband goes, yes and amen. I'm like, we're talking, that, that yes and amen is supposed to be at the promises of God, not my sin nature for liking things. I'm not one of those men. I like to go shopping. I'm the one that drags my wife shopping. That's why she yelled yes and amen because her husband drags her shopping because I like clothes. I like to buy new clothes. I, you know, you just, I think we need more stuff than, than we can have. So the problem is that that's not exactly what 
the Bible says for us. I was actually, I took my, my family to Carowinds on Friday, which is rare for us to get our entire family together at this point with the age groups being spread and everything. And so we're actually all at Carowinds and riding roller coasters and my three sons, not my wife and not my daughter, but my three sons, we're talking from adult to preteen boys, said, can we leave and go to the Adidas outlet? You've got roller coasters and water slides and corn dogs, and you'd rather be shopping for stuff. Yep, they'd rather be shopping for stuff. So we know we are people who may be struggling with wanting more and more stuff. So here we go. Here's what Paul says. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really really strong language there. Why would you give us such a warning? And he says, this is the reason. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. This is one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Instead of saying what it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, we like to, to take it out of context and yell at friends of ours that have more stuff than us, of course, and say, well, you know, money is the root of all kinds of evils. But that's not what it says. It never says that having money is in and of itself a bad thing. And matter of fact, some of us shorten it even more. We know money is just evil. Money, money is just evil. And we just put that upon people. Sometimes we put that upon ourselves. But that's not what it says at all. It says the love of money can be the root of, just the beginning of, trouble with all things. And here's the reason. We can get all things. Through money. If you think about it, you were saying, wait a minute, I thought this was a message on we can't get enough stuff. Why are we suddenly talking about money? Well, I, first of all, because money is the best stuff. Isn't it? Come on, somebody with me? Money is just the best stuff. Everybody wants it. It'll get you anything. And that's the real point. Money gets you anything. Talking about the desires of the flesh, pleasure, it'll get you pleasure. It'll get you a massage. It'll get you a vacation. It'll get you a softer lazy boy. It'll get you air-conditioned seats in your car. It'll, it'll get you pleasure. You can use money to get you stuff. You can buy more than you need. You go to the mall and go, oh, look at that tan shade of Oxfords. It's the third shade of brown. I need more than one or two shades of brown Oxfords because it's got to match the belt. And, you know, every day's a little different. Come on, anybody here has got more than one shade of brown Oxfords besides me? Okay, anyway, <laughs> told you I'd be the, the, the humble one for you today and let y'all just think that it's not, not your issue there. And I forgot what I was talking about because none of you raised your hand with me. You totally messed me up. I don't even know what I was talking about. Anyway, oh, and, and you can use money to get pride even. You may say, well, you know, I need a new car. Yes, but you don't buy a car that functionally takes you to work. You buy a car that your friends go, ooh, look at you when you drive up, you know. We use money to get pleasure, money to get stuff, and money to even get pride. We want people to be impressed with us. And so that's why money is potentially the root of all that the world has to offer. It can get us any of it. There's no boundaries. If you've got money, you can get anything that tempts you. And that's where it can potentially become the problem. And so it says the love of money. Now, I just want to stop and highlight something here because, you know, my job is to be a Greek nerd and kind of study the language behind this every now and then. I'm going to share a Greek nerd moment with you if you guys are okay with this. In the American English language here, we've got the word love and we've got the word money, right? Two different words. Well, guess what? In the Greek language, there's also the word love and there's also the word money, but neither of those are used here. What's used here is a word that means all of it wrapped together, one word. Anybody want to guess what our equivalent is? It's greed. But the problem is, and the reason that it doesn't get translated that way, is because most of us would read 
for greed is the root of all kinds of evils. And we'd say, well, of course it is. And I'm not greedy, so I'm good. Flip the page. And we would miss the point. Because most of us would say, I'm not greedy. Yet most of us honestly would like more money. We would. doesn't really matter how much we have. We would like more money. And so that could potentially get us into trouble. And here's why. Paul says this. It is through this craving, the love of money, never having enough, that some have wandered away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many, many pangs. Man, that is graphic language if you go back to the Greek again, because this word pierced, you know, we may think like, you know, rose thorn kind of whatever, or you go to the doctor and they do a little blood prick on your finger and you, you kind of have that idea. But the idea here, what this word pierced actually means is run through, impaled with a spear. It's the same word that they would use if they were putting meat on a, on a spit or a shish kebab kind of thing to go and, and cook it. This is like, it's fatal. Like it's devastating. This desire for money will permanently ruin us. Now why is this such a big deal? Why is Paul talking about this? Because it's actually those elders of that church. It's the leaders in the church in Ephesus where Timothy, they're supposed to be supporting him and praying for him and helping lead. There's some of those elders are actually the very ones that are saying, well, let's figure out how to get more money here. Maybe, maybe we can take a little bit of the cut of the offering and we can just act all godly and people will pay us to give their advice and all this sort of stuff. Godliness will get us rich. And, and Paul is telling them, watch out. Because some people have wandered away from the faith and these guys started to leave the faith. The genuine, they were the leaders. Paul had raised them up to be the most mature and some of them are walking away from the faith all because they want more stuff and more money. True story. Had someone who had uh, been out of church for uh, about a decade of their lives and uh, when they did decide to re-engage with a uh, community of faith and start coming back to church and they were coming here to grace life they shared the story that one of the reasons that they had stayed away the main reason that they had stayed away for about a decade they said the money was too good the money was really good and they went on to explain that they, they had the best income their family had ever had, the most money they'd ever had. And they knew that if they got engaged in a local church, that it would touch their finances. And, and I commend them on knowing that if you worship God, it's going to involve your time. If you worship God, it's going to involve your talent. And, and at least they knew if they worship God, it would involve their treasure. You know, unfortunately, sometimes we try to separate that when we think I'll give God my time and my talent, but my treasure has nothing to do with my worship of him. So I'll commend them that they at least understood if they said they're a part of worshiping God, it's at some point going to affect their finances. But because they wanted so much of that for a decade, they kept it for themselves by staying away from worshiping God. As for the rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, which simply means proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I mean, money can do a lot of stuff, but it can't guarantee your future. But no, set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Set our hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do, do y'all see that that's underlined? I want you to look at that again. Because it doesn't say God, who minimally provides us with enough to survive. I don't know about you, but I just get blown away when I think about the fact that when God gave us, he actually wants us to enjoy this life. And so I want to be very clear as we're talking about stuff and making sure our stuff doesn't have a grip on us and, you know, the love of money could potentially be a root of all kinds of evils. I, I just need to stop right now and make sure you're not misunderstanding. There is nothing wrong with being blessed by God. 
There is, I thought at least one of you would have been happy about that. There is nothing wrong with the stuff that God gives us. We are blessed people. We are incredibly blessed. But it's God who has blessed us. God who has put us in a day and an age where we are blessed people. And, and, and he literally just said, because God richly provides so that we can enjoy this life. I'm just going to actually go a step further. See, here's what the Ephesian elders messed up. They, they, they knew there was a fact that was out there, but they let the end result become their motivation. Here's the fact. If you live a biblical and godly life, you're going to most likely end up well off. You're just going to most likely end up well off if you live a godly and biblical life. Now, they switched that around and started chasing the money by pretending to be godly. And I'm not telling you to do that, but here's the reality. The Bible tells us so many things. And for some of us, we'll actually end up using the word wealthy by the end of our life. Like the first one, God tells us to honor him, to give him the first 10% of everything. If we, and he promises, if we will put him at the beginning of our finances, here's the language he uses, that he will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing, not minimal provision, but blessing until there's no more need and you and I are only talking about want. That's, that's his promise. Then he goes on, if you don't want to talk about tithing to God, let's talk about the next one. He says, if, if you see somebody who's poor and you give to them, the Bible actually says, whoever's generous to the Lord, God counts it as lending to him, and he will repay. So you, you, you got, well, you know, it's not Christian to have stuff, so I've just got to give it away. I got $100. Let me go over here. Here's a poor person standing on the street. I'm going to give him $100. And God says, wow, I can trust you to bless people and to give it away. Here's another 100 And you're like, here's your 100 Ha, now you're rich. You deal with it. And God looks at heaven and he goes, here's a thousand. If you are willing to bless people, God's going to keep blessing people through you. It's going to be an impossible loop to try to outgive God. It doesn't work. How about this? The Bible talks about being hardworking, being very diligent. It's wisdom to be diligent. It's, it's, and it says anything we do, we're supposed to do as though we're doing it unto the Lord. So if everything you do, you do it as though you're doing it for God and you work really hard, you're going to end up promoted. People who end up promoted end up getting raises. I mean, if you live a biblical life, the Bible talks about saving and planning and budgeting. The Bible talks about how in a wise man's house, there is precious treasure and oil. The Bible talks about a righteous man, that means a godly man, has an inheritance for his children and his children's children because he didn't spend his entire life broke. That's, that's the, if we just live a biblical life, chances are we're going to end up with stuff. We're going to end up with money. So there's nothing about the Bible that says if you have money, you are automatically going to be in trouble. Here's the problem. We've got to make sure it doesn't have us. And the question that I'm going to throw out, I'm actually going to throw out two questions for us, is how badly do you want it? And what do you do with it? How badly do you want it, and what are you going to do with it? And here is Paul's answer. He says they are to do good. They're to be rich in good works. They're to be generous, and they're ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, we get all caught up wanting our stuff, but like Paul said, we're not taking it with us. And all the stuff that we can get, all of the money we can get, and all of the comfort it can buy, it can only do it for like this little time period. This little thing that you and I call life. But the Bible says, truly life, what is real life? Jesus used the same language. It's coming later. It's something else. And it is so hard for us to fathom what that is going to be like, that, that we just, we melt down and we just put it all into right now. So let me give you an analogy. It's the best one that works for me. If it doesn't work for you, I apologize. But, but for me, when I try to 
compare this life to eternity and understand what is that difference and, and what is that going to be like. I think of what it's got to be like to be in, in the womb and then 90 years on earth. You know, when you're in the womb for nine months, it's such a fraction of the 90 years, right? And during that time, you don't know what's going on. You don't have any memory of, of what we did back then, and you don't have any understanding of the future. No baby four months in the womb can, like, predict when they're 70 years old on earth. I mean, it, it, there's no comprehension. There's, there's no way to bridge the two. But a baby in the womb just wants food, and, and, and they're going to kick you, right? Come on, ladies, they're going to kick you. They're going to make you sick until you give them. You know, I mean, you've got to eat just because they want to eat whatever, and, and they just get absorbed in that moment. And then they go on to the next one, and they don't even remember that. You and I are going to get to real life. We're going to get to that which is truly life. And we're going to be like, what? I had to have What? That thing doesn't even exist. Are you I mean, wow. Like now on earth, we're like, oh, look at me. I got some bling. Look at my little gold. I spent money on my gold. I'm all cool. I got gold. Kind of, we're going to get to heaven and go, what? I'm walking on gold. Like it's dirt in heaven. You know what I'm saying? We think it's like something now. It's going to be like dirt. That's dirt. I could like get a shovel and dig gold. Man, it's everywhere. Don't lose sight of what is to come. All for now. So back to our question of today. How can we be blessed and favored by God? How can we enjoy this stuff that he's given us, the provision that he said he did just so we can enjoy without being ruled by the desires of our eyes? Well, the two things that Paul said, he already gave us the answer. The first one is generosity. Generosity is about giving, about giving to God, giving to people. When we talk about giving to God, we're talking about tithing, putting him first and saying, God, you do come first. You provided for me. You gave me everything. So this is for you. And then giving to people in need, giving to uh, missionaries, ministries, anything that you say, man, that, that's something I want to make a difference in, the Red Cross, whatever it is, and giving. Because here's the truth. It can't have a hold on you if you're willing to give it away. You know what I'm saying? It can't have a hold on you if you're willing to get, if you're willing to get, I don't need this. I, I'm quickly, I, you want this, you can have it. You want this money, you want this shirt, you, you want my car. You got, the, if you're willing to just walk away from it in any second, it can't have a hold on you. And the second answer is contentment from gratitude. You see, the problem with saying contentment, contentment's the answer, be content. That's what Paul said, right? He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. But contentment is a state of being. And last week we talked about the answer to the pride of life being humility. But if you just wake up and say, today I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be the greatest humble person. Ever. I mean, it just doesn't work to just be. It's hard to just be content. So I'm going to tell you how to arrive at a state of being where you are content. And that is to be grateful. To be filled with gratitude. To constantly look at your life and say, man, my life is good. My life is good. I wake up every day. And now... Now, I just tell God, thank you. But before that sounds like I'm bragging, I need to tell you I was not that way for most of my life. It's actually a new journey in the last couple of years. Kind of probably went back to whenever I did that kitchen story and some message a few years back. The truth is I just saw what was wrong with everything. Instead of being grateful that I had a kitchen and had any food I wanted to cook in it, I was upset with the kitchen and the type of the floor and then we'd complain about the carpet in the living room because it would always be dirty with four kids and a dog. And we'd complain about the weather and complain about my car because it made funny noises when I hit bumps. And I, it didn't matter what it was. I just, truth is, I was a whiner. 
to God only. I don't think I'm a whiner to people, by the way. I think I'm a very, and I don't need any of you illuminating my life this week if I happen to be a whiner to people, but I do know I was a whiner to God, and I can, I can admit that. I mean, I was very quick to just go, yeah, God, I really need you to do this, and you give me this, and replace this, and whatever. God would say, well, yeah, did you see that? Okay, yeah, 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 but what about this? I really need you to do it. And he would just keep working on me to become grateful, to begin to, to just say, wow, God, you really have been good to me. You really have been good to me. If I have to tell you the truth, I, I think my life is so good. I, I'm not bragging. I'm just being honest about where God has taken me in my journey. I, I would say about 1% of my life is a need. About 99% of it is wants and enjoyment. I, I mean, I don't really remember the last time I really needed is so good. I mean, my life is well off financially. My life is well off materially. My life is well off physically. I mean, I've got a little shoulder thing going on. My arm only moves a certain direction so far. But, you know, this arm used to do the same thing, and I had surgery, and it fixed it. So I thank God I live in a day and an age where I can get surgery, even if I'm going to have to have it. does. I mean, my life is just good. And where I could complain about my arm suddenly not working because I'm 46, I don't know. That's what I blame it on. Instead, I'm just grateful that I know a good doctor who did the last one. <laughs> got insurance or whatever the story is. And, you know, yeah, I've got, I could complain about my car or I could say, thank you, God, I have a car that I don't walk to work. And I'm just, so I wake up every day and say, God, thank you that I woke up today. I tried to make sure I had a lot of fun with my kids last night because it could have been the end, but, you know, I'm grateful, really grateful. I'm glad for my kids. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my mattress. I like, I slept well. I mean, the truth is, like, the mattresses we have today, go back in time a thousand years. Thank you, God, for my posturepedic pillow. Thank you for my air conditioning. Just constantly being grateful and just looking at the goodness of God. One of the reasons we don't do that is because, well, we don't think that we're that blessed. A moment ago, we were reading this passage and saying, but for the rich in this age. Then he told them what to do. Now, how many of you, don't, don't raise your hands because you'd lie. But don't raise your, when we were reading the passage and it said, but for the rich, how many of you thought, he's talking to me. You see, we tend to not self-identify as rich. We tend to identify as middle class, lower middle class, maybe whatever, working class, something. We'd put other words on it. Most of us would not self-identify as rich. I'm going to mess you up. You ready for this? Some of you already know this statistic. If you have a household income, $32,400. Household means you your spouse, your dog, if it gets royalties for being on the dog food can, your kids that you farm out, if you take any of their money, whatever it is you do. I don't want to know about it, but whatever, whatever brings the money into your house, if it's $32,400 per year, you are in the top 1% of all the people, nearly 8 billion of them on planet earth right now today. You know, we like to complain about the 1% because we only look at America. 
and there is a few people out there with four beach houses on two different coasts and seven mountain houses in Vail and you know a condo in Manhattan and something in LA and a helicopter to take them between it all and we're like I'm not rich like that yeah so there are people that have like just ridiculous but that's not permission for you and me to forget how blessed we are we're in the top one percent I'm willing to bet that almost every one of us here is in the top one percent of all the people on planet earth today and I think to myself God I have so much look at my house got bedrooms for all our kids we got all of this and yet there are people who love you just as much as I do living in tents in refugee camps right now today I am so blessed I am so rich and if you you take that go go back even further we're not only the top one percent of the earth today we're a percent of the top one percent in all of history you go back 500 years kings didn't have the stuff you and I have today I mean, I'm able to leave my half-made kitchen and walk directly into my storage room for my vehicles. It's called a garage. You have it too, right? In the middle of a rainstorm and never get a drop of water on me and drive to the restaurant, still never got a drop of water on me in a rainstorm, and pull up to the front door under the awning and give someone my car and my keys because I didn't want a drop of water on me. Even a king would have gotten drenched riding his horse to a feast somewhere 500 years ago. We're so blessed. And here's the thing. I believe these two things. Exactly what Paul told us. Because God gives us stuff to enjoy. Matter of fact, before you feel guilty about being in the top 1%, the Bible tells you that God determined when you were going to live, where you were going to live, it's not your fault you were born into one of the richest countries in the world in living in 2019 where you get to be in the top 1%. It's not your fault. It's called favored and blessed by your God. It should not make you say, oh, it should make you go, thank you, you are good. But it should also make us do these two things. Be generous. Because the more we give, the harder it is for that stuff to hold on to us. And be grateful. Never stop being grateful just keep saying, thank you, God, for that vacation. Yeah, someday give a vacation to somebody. I'm not, I'm not saying hoard. Don't keep it all for yourself. The more we give and the more grateful we are, the more that we can live without the desires of our eyes ruling us. I want to close with an email that I got from somebody a couple of months ago after preaching. I love Monday morning emails, by the way. Just kidding, this was a good one. I, I do get good ones. And here's what he said. My wife has been saying for a long time that I'm often unhappy. But it never hit me until yesterday when you were preaching on happiness. The Holy Spirit showed me that I really am negative and ungrateful for all he's doing for me. I might not be an Eeyore and I know how to have fun, but oftentimes I'm disgruntled on the inside. I love church and worship, but deep down I'm unsatisfied with life. I was okay before I had this realization because I just thought I was a realist. Come on, somebody else in the room? I'm just being honest about the state of my kitchen. I didn't want to admit that I'm negative. My wife has been suggesting gently for a long time that I do a gratitude journal, but I've resisted for years because I don't journal. That's not my thing. I only write papers for school and not much else. 
and I viewed gratitude journals as something women did. But I'm going to try it because I believe it will help me renew my mind and I need a new mindset. I, like everyone else, can be positive at times, but I live out of negativity. I think I'm a six or a seven on the negativity scale. My mom, she's a 10. But I decided last night that I needed to break this generational curse. I don't want my kids to be critical and negative. My wife started her thousand gifts journal about five years ago and just recently hit a thousand. She's very positive. And I must have forgotten what she was like before the thousand gifts journal. But she reminded me last night she wasn't very positive before she started. And I just don't remember her like that anymore. I want to see the fruit of this in my own life. So I started a gratitude journal last night and got to 30 in an evening. Here goes my thousand gifts journey. My challenge to you is to do the same. I don't know if it's going to be something you write down and try to get to a thousand or if you just sit down every night or you wake up every morning and you just begin telling God what you're grateful for. Everything. Everything. Thank you, God, that I can wake up and make tea because I don't like coffee. You see how simple and how quickly that list can add up. Thank you, God, that you made cocoa because we make chocolate and it's awesome. Thank you, God for my life, for my job, for my friends. Thank you, God. You're so good. I want to close by praying for us. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much that your blessings are so abundant so that we can enjoy this life you've given us. God, we thank you that you are such a loving God. You did not want us to just exist and survive, but you wanted us to enjoy this time here on this earth you've created. And God, all we can say is thank you. You have blessed us. We thank you for the age in which we live. We thank you for the region in which we live. We thank you for the life that you've given us, the blessings that come with it. God, our prayer to you is that you would cause us to be people who are grateful. You would cause us to begin to see the goodness. And that we would be people who are quick to share we're quick to take what you have given to us and, and to share it with the rest of the world, with every person around us. God, we don't want the stuff in our lives to rule us. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you who have yet to make Jesus your King or Lord and Savior, whatever language you want to use. The simple truth is that we have a perfectly holy God and yet as humans we're not perfectly holy and that separation that thing that makes us different is called sin and Jesus died his death on the cross to pay for the one we deserve making it possible for us to have eternity in heaven that which is truly life and making it possible for us to be right with God because our sins are erased by his perfect blood being shed but every single one of us at some point in time has to receive that gift. We have to engage with him. And if you're here today and you have never acknowledged what he's done for you, if you've never said thank you that you died for me, now I want to live for you. I want to help you do that here this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I ask you to stand up just right where you're seated if you would just pray with me. Say something like this to yourself and to God. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church/resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.